Hi everyone, this is Dr. Tracy Jones and this episode of Throwback Thursday features a series of podcasts. This is section four of a five-part series of a speech my father gave titled Leadership. And our founder, Charlie Tremendous Jones, was quite passionate about a leadership. And in this section, he begins by talking about the principle of abandonment and how we need to abandon what we like and want to think about in favor of what we ought and need to think about. My father shares that new life only begins when we shed the old. He also talks about my brother Jerry and how he paid him to read books to earn a car in high school. Also about the notes that my father uh, received from my brother, the Dear Dad letters when he was in college. And my father also shares some of the books that have radically changed his life. And you can just see as he's hold those books and shares those thoughts, just what these books meant from him and how new life began in my father when he shed the old stuff as a result of some of the tremendous books he read. So listen to this, you're gonna love this segment. You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. The last price of leadership is abandonment, abandonment, abandonment. Now abandonment for a Christian is different than the world. The Christian is what, what you can't do. The Christian is what can you do. The world is what's wrong with it for me to work my way to heaven. The Christian is not what's right about it. You see, my kids will say, well, Dad, why can't we do this? Why Listen, don't ask me why we can't do it. Just give me a reason why we ought to do it, and we'll do it. In the meantime, shut up. <laughs> why not talk about what can we do? It's like the, store, the trees out in front of my house, an old pin oak. Every winter, the leaves hang on all year long. The wind is asleep, can't blow it off. Then the summer comes. The birds are sitting there, and not a wind, not a breeze, and here the leaves fall off. What happened? The wind couldn't take those leaves off. The sleep couldn't, but now there's no wind new life. The mark of a Christian is this. The life sheds the old. You don't quit nothing. The storm wind is downtown here in Murfreesboro. They're filled with mannequins standing here tonight and the storm wind is, they don't do nothing wrong. We're not giving them the crown of righteousness. Why? Because the Christian life is not what don't you do, it's what do you do. It's abandonment. And that's why you see we could talk about a lot of things. Do you think about what you like to think about? Or what you ought to think about? Do you, do you talk about what you like to talk about? Or what you ought to talk about? Do you do what you like to do? Do what you want to do. You see, life is not to do what you like. Life is not to do what you like to do. Do what you want to do. My son writes home from college. He says, "Dad, when I do what I like to do and goof off and don't study, I find an exam time. What I thought I liked to do, I didn't like to do it. But Dad, when I do what I hate to do and hit those rant and stanking lousy books and do what I hate to do, I find an exam time. What I thought I hated to do, I love to do it. And you see, friends, that's why I love to talk about books." You are the same today you're going to be five years from now, except for two things. The people you meet and the books you read. Do you know why I'm so hooked on books? Because you see, in my marriage, it made a difference. But in my children, it made a difference. One day, my oldest son, Jerry Jones, 14 years old, mm, I'm going to tell you, he needed help, and it wasn't going to come from me. I, I would give him the help, but it wasn't the help he would respond to. And I got an idea, the power of books. And so I got some books. And I made him a deal. I said, son, I'm going to pay you to read books. And here's the deal. In two years from now, you want to buy a car when you're 16, don't you? Yes. And you want me to help you buy a car? Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to help you, but here's the deal. From now on, I'm going to pay you for book reports. I'm going to give, I'll pick out the books for you to read. You read the book and give me a book report. Every time I get a book report, I'll put $10 in the car fund. Give me another book report, I'll put $10 more in the car fund. So in two years, if you read in style, You'll drive in style, but you be like a bum, 
you're going to drive like a bum. Overnight, he developed a fantastic hunger for reading. <laughs> he read 22 books. Did he buy a car? No, he kept the money and used my car and my gas. <laughs> what kind of books did you say I had him read? Well, the first book I had him read was Dale Carnegie's book. You know, why would you have that boy read a, a, a whirly book like that? I'll tell you why I had him read that book. Because the first day he came down and said to his dad, Dad, there's a whole chapter in here on smiling and shaking hands. There's a whole chapter. And he took my hand, doctor, took my hand, and he shook my hand, and then he smiled at me. He smiled at me. Fourteen years old, smiling already. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I know saints who never smiled yet. And they're 64 years old. Do you know how to get old and bitter? Practice when you're young. I had to meet some Christian books, too, and inspirational books. I had to meet Alan Redpath's book on Victorious Christian Living. I remember this book. Years ago, I was flying to Fort Lauderdale to speak to a group of Christian businessmen. I was so discouraged. I tell you, I thought, what in the world, God, am I going down there to Florida to speak to them about peace and happiness when I'm miserable? Somebody ought to come up here and talk to me. Why did I get in there and preach to them? And one of my secretaries gave me a book. Victorious Christian Living. I read it on the plane. You know what I did the whole way to Florida on that plane? I laughed and cried and cried and laughed and laughed and cried and cried and laughed. As I read that book of Joshua, every page was leaping out at me. This is the book that taught me. This is the book that taught me as I, when I got off that plane that I would die. I'll die before I ever let my wife see me act as courage again. Why? That's the book that taught me. It's more sinful if you can count sin greater than sin. It's a greater sin to go to church drunk than it is to go... It's the greatest sin to go to church discouraged than it is to be drunk. You say, you recommend I get drunk? No. But I'll tell you one thing, pal. You go to church drunk, if you got any brain, God will convict you. You'll realize what a dog you are. And yet every week I find Christians walking around discouraged and not a soul convicted about. You tell me who's done more harm in a church, a drunk or discouraged saints? You can pinpoint a drunk but you can't pinpoint no lady who's wallowing in pity. That's the book. So I had Jerry read it. So we're driving to Sunday school one Sunday morning. I said, Jerry, how you get along with Alan Redpath? You know, he said, Dad, Dad. Dad said, everybody ought to read that book and then get this. He said, Dad, he said, no. He said, everybody ought to hit my leg. Sit right there, hit my leg. Everybody ought to have to read that book. Hit my leg. First sign of life in 14 years. <laughs> I want to wash my leg. You know what he said? Listen, folks. You know what he said to me when he said, everybody ought to have to read the book? When he said, everybody ought to have to read the book? That's the first time in his life that I sense a concern about anybody other than himself. And you know what? I know dozens of Christians and Christians who are grown-ups who got everything I never sense a better concern about anything other than themselves. I remember years later, I fell in love with a lot of Rattle and Red Past books. Here's one of Nehemiah. I remember the days when I wanted to quit the church and quit the board and quit the deacons and quit the soul and quit, quit, but nobody ever cared, nobody ever helped. Then I got to read Nehemiah. You know what I did? I laughed and cried and cried and laughed and laughed and cried and cried and laughed. And that's where I learned 
You can want to quit to the point you're going to kill yourself, but you don't have to quit. That's where I got every word of it. So since I read that book, I'll never quit. I can't quit. I can want to quit. I enjoy quitting. Charles Spurgeon. My, how I wish I could be a Bible school student. My, I wish I could be a go away in just seminary. Why would, but listen, folks, we all fail that way. When we hear Curtis, when we hear John, when we hear Dr. Rice and all the preachers preach of oh, God, isn't that wonderful? But listen, friend, we're called to Christ. We're <laughs> called to work anyway. We're called to Christ. And then we find books like Spurgeon. You know, the greatest, we talked about coming over here with John. The greatest public speaking book I've ever read. The greatest workers book I've ever read. The greatest motivation book I've ever read. Spurgeon's lectures to my students. And he has great doctrine in here. Let me tell you one of Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, I know God chose me before I was born because he never had any reason to choose me after I was born. Isn't that good? Amen. Isn't that good? That's dynamite. Well, I don't need seminary to figure that out. Woo! Here. Oh, friends, there's so many great books here. But I got to tell you about one tonight. About it, Abraham Lincoln. I know some of you don't feel too warm about Abraham Lincoln, and I agree. Jefferson Davis was a greater man. But now, and I realize why the South lost the Civil War. I tell Yankees up north, I tell them off why the South lost the Civil War. God had the South lose. We lost the Civil War because God wanted us to lose. God knew those great Southern gentlemen, Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, Jeb Stewart, and Stonewall Jackson. He knew that we, they had enough grace and wisdom to take defeat. And God knew those drunken liberal Yankees could have never stood defeat. And God had the South lose to save the Union. See, this is all another. It's all true. But folks, you remember all that said. How I do love Abraham Lincoln. And I have volumes of Lincoln. Let me tell you about a man named Abraham Lincoln. Once upon a time, there was a man named Abraham born in this world in the Lincoln family. It was total poverty. And not only was he born into poverty, but it got worse every day of his life after he was born. He never knew his mother, really. She died when he was nine. He never knew his sister. She died in his teens. He never really knew a woman because the girl he loved died when he was teens and he married into a family that was very hostile all of his married life. He had no education. He got two years, if that's what you call it. And he didn't read by candlelight in his cabin like the books used to tell us he did because, you see, he lived seven people in one room. And it wasn't a cabin like some of the cabins you have around here in the hills, you know. These are pretty nice cabins because he had no door and no windows in his cabin, just crawl space. But that was an upgrade from the previous year because the year after his mother died, they had no cabin. They lived in a lean-to and kept alive by the fire and furs. And on top of his having no education, he never knew his father either. And people say you need a father, a good father. Well, he hadn't really no father. He had a father who fed him, but he never got along with him. And by the way, even when Lincoln became president, he refused even to go to his father's funeral. He was so hurt by his father. He'd come to love his father later on, but at that time. He was so ugly, he joked about it all the time to put people at ease so they wouldn't mind having to look at anybody as ugly and homely as he was and awkward on top of it. He was hated by the North, whether you love it or not, as much as he was by the South. If you want to read some good history, read the editorials on Lincoln, how he was hated by the North. They blamed him for everything. His generals thought he was an idiot. 
and all of his political assistants did all they could to undermine almost everything he ever did. We had an election recently, if you remember, Walter Mondale lost. There once was a president who lost the population worse than Walter Mondale. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Well, how did he become president? He won the Electoral College, that's how he won. Never was a president so hated, even by the popular vote, that Lincoln was. But yet tonight, this man who had no self-esteem, and the Christians seem to be going crazy today over self-esteem, and I guess we ought to have good self-esteem. We seem to be going crazy over having a good self-image, and I hear that everywhere I go, Christian, I don't have a good self Well, that may be. There once was a born a man born who had no self-esteem and had poor self-image, and on top of that, he had no church and he had no Christian fellowship in his life until all the very end. And yet today, if you go to England, you'll find in Westminster Abbey only one statue of a non-Britisher. You know who it is? Abraham Lincoln. They're making a movie in India now. Do you know who it's about? Not Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln. There's some places in the world that the name Jesus Christ is hated. But there's one name almost in every country in the world, Christian and non-Christian or whatever. There's one name that's respected universally. You know who it is? Abraham Lincoln. I want to ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. How does a man who has no mother, no father, no home, no church, no fellowship, no self-esteem, how does he become the greatest, most revered name in the world? Well, if you read, you'll find out. He had one thing going for him. He loved to read. He only had four books until he was 10. Those four books were all he needed, a King James Version of the Bible, the life of George Washington, the history of the United States, and Arabian Nights. When his mother died, his new mother brought him another book, a dictionary. Robinson Crusoe, and he had Pilgrim's Progress, excuse me, he had Pilgrim's Progress too. You see, what happened when Lincoln learned to read? He learned to do what happens to all people who read. He learned to think, think. Wasn't that tremendous? Now you can see why my father was such a book evangelist, because books transformed him into the most tremendous version of himself. And I love his closing line on Lincoln, that Lincoln learned to think as a result of developing his love of reading. My father and Lincoln sure shared a great deal in common. So check out the links to pick up the books that my father talks about. And you can get these on Amazon. There's links all throughout listed underneath the um, dialogue box and the, talking about this podcast. Also be sure and hit the subscribe button and leave us a note. Tell us what you thought. Maybe a book that changed your life. Also go over to TremendousLeadership.com. You can pick up this speech in its entirety and you can again pick up some of the other books that my father wrote or he talks about. And again, thanks for being a listener. Thanks for being a subscriber. Thanks for being a belover, be believer in the beloved power of books. And thank you for being part of our Tremendous have a tremendous Thursday and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.